Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 241. They come in and you find out what they need and then you respond to them accordingly. Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Well, hi there. It's Sue, and thank you so much for joining me here today. Before we get into the show, I have a question for you. How'd your day go yesterday? Maybe a crazy question, I know. And yes, you heard me right. If you were to rate yesterday, how much did you get done? How far did you advance toward your goal? Or maybe in your mind you're saying, what goal? Many of you have told me you aren't sure whether what you're doing is the right thing for your business. You're confused that you may be focusing on the wrong things and wasting time and money. And you compare yourself to others and feel like you're just not keeping up. Sound familiar? Maybe you find that you're busy all day long, but when you finish up, you haven't accomplished much of anything at all. I've been there too, until I started working with what I now call the power of purpose. I made a free video for you that explains how to boost your productivity and get results using the power of your purpose. Isn't it time to make all the effort that you put into your business and your life do for you what you've intended? Now, full disclosure, this video does lead into showing you my brand new Inspired Daily Planner. But listen, you don't need the Inspired Planner to get all the advantages out of the power of purpose that I show you in this video. So if you're interested in discovering a new way to work through your days so your time is intentional and your results are real, I encourage you to go over and watch this video. And you can find it at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. That's giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. Now, in the four plus years that I've been doing this show, I've come to know a lot about you. And truth be told, it's pretty easy because we're a lot alike. You take great pride and can talk all day about your products with an interested party in one-on-one conversations. You can talk about what you make, the story of how you got started, and the intricacies of your creation and production methods. These all roll effortlessly off your tongue, right? But then you reach a roadblock. Talking about these exact same things in a public environment? Now that's an entirely different story. The idea of speaking in public is petrifying to most. Yet, as a small business owner, this is essential to getting the visibility necessary to grow. Whether it's networking, exhibiting at a craft show, or doing Facebook Lives, you aren't going to go far without the extended exposure that these activities bring. And if wholesale or corporate accounts are part of your sales strategy, you'll need to present your business and product in a public forum here too. Many, 
I won't say all, but many of you will decide to stay small and continue selling only to family, friends, and maybe friends of friends. But the truth is, this is only going to get you so far. To grow at some point, you have to display and present your business and your products. This is where today's guest comes in. I've turned to a comedian for some guidance on this issue. Now you might ask, how is this going to help me? You may think comedians naturally have what it takes to deliver one-liners and tell stories that end up in that explosion of laughter. Coming up, you're going to find out that that's not necessarily true. Larry doesn't make tangible and tasty things like we do, but he creates art through entertainment. And his profession relies 100% on putting himself in the public eye. Let's turn to him now and find out how he can help us deal with our anxiety around speaking out in front of people we don't know. I am really, really excited to introduce you to Larry Bloom with Funnier by the Lake Comedy. Now, I have no idea what's going to be happening here, but I know it's going to be a lot of fun. So buckle in and get ready. Larry has been writing jokes and making people laugh his entire life. Growing up north of Chicago in Wilmette, Illinois, what interest and talent Larry lacked in sports, he made up for with a passion for the stand-up comedians and actors from movies and television of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Larry was a remarkably horrible high school and college student. You guys can guess I'm reading from his bio that he provided me, so I'm just going with that. (laughs) And he often says that if those years were a book, it would be titled Fear and Loathing on Campus. I told you guys to get ready. Larry's stand-up comedy springs from a lifetime of experiences and a view of the world seen through a comedian's filter in which humor can be found in everything and nothing is off limits, unless it's not funny. He can be seen performing on stage throughout the Chicago area. And through Funnier by the Lake Comedy, Leary has made it his mission to bring live comedy to the North Shore of Chicago. Leary, I am so excited to have you on the show. Thanks. So I've warned you. And so you have to be ready for my traditional candle question, which we use to start every interview. And that is, if you were to share with us what you're all about by way of a motivational candle, what color would it be and what would be the quote on the candle? I don't know what a motivational candle, I've never been motivated by a candle, but if I had to pick a color, it would normally be blue, like kind of medium, kind of cool blue would would normally be the color that represents, I guess, that's the color that comes to my mind, I guess. Okay. And then the quote, which is like my favorite quote, which is actually from Hunter S. Thompson. It's a part of a longer quote, but it's basically, buy the ticket, take the ride, which basically means whatever you do, good or bad, you've made that decision, you're in it, and you got to go for that ride, see what happens. There you go. I like that. How would you relate that to someone who's starting a business? I don't think you can start a business and actually not have that sensibility because if you go into a business thinking I'm going to do this and it's going to go this way or I want it to go this way and you're not prepared to just take those steps and see where they take you and see what blows up in your face and then you still have to deal with and you still have to go down that road or pick the roads to go down based on what happens. I mean, you shouldn't even be starting a business. The the people that start with uh, these concrete expectations are almost doomed to failure. I mean, I think you know because you run a business. I mean, there's just absolutely no day that's just like exactly the way 
you expect it to go. Right. And I also think you're right, because when people start a business, they think everything is going to be smooth. If they've planned enough, thought about it enough, took enough classes, whatever it's going to be, that everything is going to be perfect from the get go. And then the second that they meet with resistance or something is not going, quote unquote, according to plan, then they think I'm not cut out for this, you know, or it's not going to work for me where where you're saying take the ride. It is going to be a ride. There's going to be bumpy roads. There's going to be smooth roads. And that's what you kind of bought into when you bought the ticket. That's exactly right. Good. I'm on the ride with you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Take us back. How did you get into... Now, I know comedy isn't all that you do, so feel free to share what you want to talk about, but I know we really want to focus on the comedy part as well. And Gift Biz listeners, I wanted to do that because that also more relates to what we're talking about here with you. If you're a potter or any type of a maker, creating comedy is also making. So I thought this was going to be a fun and interesting twist to other things that we're all doing together. Okay, so Larry, take us on back. Tell us how this all happened. How what happened? The comedy part of my life? Whichever way you want to go with this. Well, I mean, we're talking about comedy. We're talking about funnier by the lake. Like you'd read in my bio, I've always written jokes and I've always been funny. People my entire life were like, you should be a stand-up comedian. But I was always enough of just a student of the arts that I knew that it wasn't like when you're at a party and you're standing in a group of four people and you say something funny and then other things happen and people say stuff and then you say something funny and everyone thinks, oh, you should be a stand-up comedian. But that's like a huge difference between standing up in front of a room full of people and having to say like 30 or 40 or 50 things in a row that are funny. Plus, when I was younger, I just did not have the personality or fortitude to get on stage and do anything. But then I had an opportunity a handful of years ago. I used to run uh, business groups. I used to be in front of uh, groups all the time. There was a stand-up element to that. Always, I would always write jokes for it. That was actually a, I was more excited about writing the jokes to the stuff than actually the business part of it. So I was really uh, accustomed to doing that in front of large groups. And I used to like the MC comedy nights. I had done that because that was low risk. You don't expect a lot from the MC. He just introduces me. Maybe you throw in a joke or something. But they don't expect you to be the comedian. And then there, there was a business group I was in, and they were doing a comedy night. I asked the venue owner if I could MC it, and he said, well, the people who run the group were going to do the MCing. And he asked me if I could do a set. Now, just to put it in context, I was actually, at that point, I was in my mid-40s, and my dad had like just died like a few weeks before, kind of suddenly. And he probably had plans for six months out in the next year. And so I was really living in a, a life is short kind of a sense, and I... I just didn't think I could say no because I couldn't say I want to do it next year because I was just in a place where next year sometimes isn't available to you. So then I went on Facebook and I posted, I've just tentatively agreed to do stand-up comedy at this place in a few weeks or whatever. And the response was like, yeah, you have to do that. I'll come and see that. That's what people were like very excited for that because they've been telling me to do it for a long time. And part of the reason I even posted it was like, if I post it, I cannot back out at this point. It's a public thing. I mean, I can, but I'd feel awful. I'd never live it down in my own head. And the thing that I did that was completely ridiculous was like, I'd been speaking in front of groups. So I was really comfortable and I knew how to write jokes and perform jokes, but I'd never done like open mics. I'd never done anything in stand-up comedy, like in pure stand-up comedy. And the request was that I do 15 minutes, which is insane to do the first time out. Normally you go to open mics, you do three minutes, you do five minutes. You do eight minutes, you do four minutes, and you kind of work on what's called your tight five. That's what you work. You, people work for years to get their tight five to go out and be a comedian. And I agreed to do 15 minutes, and I didn't know any better to know how dumb that was. But I wrote 15 minutes, and I did really well, which was kind of amazing. 
That is so crazy. <laughs> I want to talk about that some more in a second. But I also want to underline the point that you're talking about here that way back when you were young, people were already saying you were funny. Like that was innately something that was part of you. And I think it's so interesting for all of us to reflect on what do other people see in us that we don't allow ourselves to see? Because it might be a little uncomfortable. It might be scary. You might not identify with it really, but it already is naturally you. That's what I'm hearing from you in the story. Yeah, though I knew I was funny. I mean, that was sort of like my stock and trade. And that also got me in trouble and also got me out of trouble a lot of times. And just that, you know, I'm not a big guy. <laughs> you know, physically, I'm not a big guy. So you play with what you got to kind of survive. So I've always been funny. I always think of there's a, this is a North Shore magazine or a Chicago magazine article with uh, it was an interview with Harold Ramis from like the 90s. They asked him when you were in high school, I think he went to Sen or something like that. He's like, uh, when you were in high school, were you the class clown? And he said, uh, no, I wasn't the class clown, but I was the class clown's writer. Oh. <laughs> I've identified with that greatly. Yeah. Well, we've known each other for a long time, Larry, and I've seen you as the meeting leader in network meetings before. I've seen you with your breakfast groups, groups that you've created, and you are so comfortable and you are hysterical in front of the groups. And dare I say, I think, and this is a question for you, you were always really relevant. And I think that's just what a comedian naturally does. You were really relevant to things that were happening at the time, like in the news and all of that. But you also always almost crossed the line. You know, like you had that gasp effect, or I don't know what you'd call it. Like, I can't believe he just said that type thing. Do you do that intentionally? Is that part of your thing? It's interesting because when I ran the chamber morning breakfast that you were always at, that wasn't my group. I just led it. And so I would bring it to a point and then, yes, and bring it to a line and kind of inch over it. You know, Breakfast of Champions, which was full on my group to run and it was mine to do whatever I wanted. I could be a little even more outspoken, but I did know what we were there for. But yeah, here's the thing. This is I was just telling the story the other day, which is I'm not going to say the word on your podcast. <laughs> no, you can't, or I have to do an E. <laughs> That's fine. My wedding speech, I dropped the F-bomb. And I did it because it was part of a story about how when I first met my wife, when we were introduced and we were out with another couple who introduced us, I was on my best behavior. Like normally I talk like Joe Pesci, like in Casino. And I was like, I'm not going to swear. I'm going to be a mensch about this. And I wasn't. And we were sitting around drinking and Deborah, who became my wife, when she was talking, she like dropped the F-bomb really casually. And then my friend's wife was talking and I interrupted her and I said, I looked back at Deborah and I said, wait, did you just say F? And she said, unapologetically, she was like, oh yeah. And so in my wedding speech, I tell that story so that at the end of it, the punchline is, so I could say unequivocally with all sincerity, you had me at F. <laughs> that was the joke. And it got a huge laugh. And then people still talk about it today. And they're just like, I can't believe you said F in your wedding speech. And I say, well, how many weddings have you gone to? Oh, dozens. I'm like, all right, tell me any other wedding speech you remember. And they can't. It's the only one they remember. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's why one part of my other business, which is marketing and branding, is always like, be memorable. That's it. You got to be memorable. And right. so my style, my sort of the thing that I do is communication is words. That That's what I'm all about. When I'm at a big networking event or something, like in one of these chambers where there's 100 people in the room, I mean, you got to say something people are going to remember or it's just in and out one ear. Yeah, but you also said something really important, too, which is know your audience and know why you're there. Because when you're talking about with the chamber you were a little more reserved, like a little bit of a filter was there. You crossed the line a tad, like a toe across the line, but you treated it differently than you treated your own event. 
Yeah, exactly. So knowing your audience is important. Yeah, and like I just was booked at a show, a comedy show down in Bloomington Normal in Central Illinois. That's where I used to live. I went to school there. I went down there. I agreed to do the show because I still knew some people down there. So I wanted to go down and do it. But there were just all sorts of jokes I have not been able to do like up here on the North Shore <laughs> that I was able to do in Bloomington Normal that they just ate <laughs> up. And then vice versa. There's stuff that I could just couldn't do down there that it just wouldn't relate. Right. Yeah, I guess I would circle this back to people who are listening. Know your customer. And when you think of email language that you're using, images that you're presenting, et cetera, you want to make sure that you're speaking with things that will be received well, but to Larry's point, I think, that also captures attention. So really, really good point there. I see this a lot when I go to these networking things and the people have got their nuggets. You got to leave with a nugget. And sometimes it's like, you have to do this or you shouldn't do this. I don't like when people speak in absolutes like that. That's why you really do have to know your audience and your audience is your customer base. Actually, your audience is your potential customers. And then once you actually have them like in front of you at a trade show or on the phone and like a call or even just in networking and you're doing your pitch, I mean, you have to respond. To, you have to look at their face. Like, how are they responding? Is their face opening up because they like what you're saying and you can go a little further? Or is their brow furrowing? You know what? They're getting a little upset. You just don't have your pitch and you just lay it out and then just walk away. I mean, the people that are responsive or sensitive to who they're talking to, they're just more successful, at least from that point. Right. Like when you're doing your comedy, you can see that because you're live right in front. You can see what the audience's reactions are. Well, like the first two rows. <laughs> okay, the first. Like, there could be 500 yeah. people in the room. You really only see like the first 25. <laughs> okay, all right, got it. But I think also like for some of us, if it's emails, you can see what email opens you're getting or how much interaction you're getting on Facebook posts. You know, So I think your point is really, really well made, Larry, is it's not just throw the information out there and then move on to the next bit of information. Put information out and then go back and analyze and see what's really resonating with your audience and then do more of that. Yeah. And I was in my other business, which is, you know, branding and marketing and, and web development. I've always told people, you know, your website needs to be responsive to who's, it can't just be just your information, some pretty pictures and in your information that just you like to see who's coming to this. There might be three different types of people that are going to come to your site. There could be B2C, there could be distributors, there could be reps who want to work with you. And you have to appeal to them and speak their language, take the work away from them. And again, it all sort of ties together and just knowing who you're talking to and being sensitive to that. Yep. And I'm so glad you brought up your website. This is going off course a little bit. We're going to get back onto comedy in a minute. But Larry, I have quoted you at least two or three times in different podcast episodes. Okay. What do you say about your website? Well, I used to have a marketing thing that was, is it the, what type of employee is your website? Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. What type of employee is your website? Does it sit on all day doing nothing or does it generate leads and help you succeed or grow? The whole point is that it, it should be as close to a human representative. It can't be because it's a website, but if you can just cover all those bases about just not just throwing the information in front of people, but actually thinking about who's coming to the site. There's different channels of people and there's different conversations with each of them, get them to the right conversations, the right information. Your conversion rate is going to be exponentially better because they're getting right to the information that applies to them, like within a click, within a second or two, instead of like they have to weed through everything that you've got on there and figure out. That's the whole thing. It's like what people never seem to understand, even big companies with big budgets, they just seem to miss the boat on like, you took the web out of it. The technology, you would never set up an office or a retail store or a restaurant or something where people came in and had to figure out how you could help them. No, 
they come in and you find out what they need and then you respond to them accordingly. Right. And what I remember you also saying is your website is one of your best employees. Is there 24-7? It's the first point of contact probably 90% of the time now. Because even if it's somebody you know, a relative, it could be someone you went to high school with, whatever, you run into them, this is what I'm doing now. They want to do business with you or they're interested. They're still going to go to your website and check you out. And you may never even have known they've been there. Right. And that's the thing. I have an article on my LinkedIn, you know, one of those long form articles. And it's something called, I don't get business through my website is a big fat lie that people tell themselves. And it's because people are like, I don't get business through it. Like they think, well, it's like, but no, it's part of an aggregate. And you don't know if you don't have a website or if you're not tracking like the activity and conversions, you don't know what sent people away. You don't know what people didn't do. You can only try and get them to do what you need them to do. People think I don't get business through my website because people didn't search whatever I sell, find me, and then give me money, as opposed to like, well, maybe they found you some other way. Maybe they heard about you. Maybe they met you. They go to your website and whatever. They're uninspired. The whole idea is it's supposed to inspire and motivate people to do whatever you need them to do, which is give information or give money or make a purchase, whatever the case may be, or download information. Hopefully that. Yeah. And I think the point is we need to take control of what actions actually happen by making sure what you were just talking about a little bit earlier, that when people come to the site, they can self-select what's important to them. And it's very obvious where they should go next. And that's all under our control. It's not up to them to figure it out. Yeah, and people don't like the word manipulation because they think it's kind of negative and it's kind of sleazy, but it is a manipulation. You do have to manipulate the people in a certain way, not necessarily in a bad way, but just you need to get them to do what you need them to do to become your customer and what they need to do to become the customer to make it as easy, less the least time, the less clicks, the less thinking involved. They found your website somehow. They're on your website make it easy for them to become your customer. Right. Or else they'll go somewhere else. If it's too confusing, they'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Even if it's somebody that knows you and likes you and they might not do business with you or go away from your website, not even out of malice, just because they got distracted and they didn't come back. And then they had somebody else on the list that they were checking out and they went with that. And I always tell people, you can hope that they come back to your website or they come back to your website to get your phone number to give you a call. You can hope they come back, but you have to depend on them not coming back. So you have to do everything you can to make sure whether it's your website, whether it's offline, you know, printed collateral, whether it's you setting up meetings, whatever, you have to do whatever you can to make sure all that happens. Yeah, that you get the most out of that one shot that you can because it might be your only chance. Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's go back. I want to go back to the funny. We're going to re-enter the funny, Larry. Good. So we're back to you made this commitment. It wasn't exactly the best time, but probably it was because if you weren't in that mindset about time is limited because of your dad passing, you may not have committed, right? And I guess you might say, yes, you for sure know you would have tried to delay it, right? Yeah, I can guarantee you. Well, I probably would have been like, well, maybe because it was only a few weeks away. So I went, well, maybe I'll do it the next one. And maybe the next one would have never come. So. I do have to say that on that night, there were three comedians. There was me, there was another member of this business group that was like an amateur comedian. And there was a hired professional comedian who was like the headliner who did 20 minutes or something like that. And I went on first and I just crushed the hell out of it. I'm smiling here, Larry. That's awesome. (laughs) That's not a brag. That's not a humble brag, whatever. I mean, that is like, 
I tell people all the time, you know what, if I did those, it actually, I wrote 15 minutes and went about 16 and a half minutes. And I have the, I have a recording. I didn't even think to record it. A friend of mine was there with his phone and recorded it. So I, I do have it. But it's like, if I did horribly, but I just had like two or three jokes land in that entire 16 minutes, I would have been completely hooked. So the fact that I did really well is great, but I think even if just a couple, because it's also a comedian's personality is is we're all very needy for that instant gratification, that instant approval. But I will say that evening, I went up first and I just crushed it. The second guy who was like an amateur, he was horrible. And the headliner who was the paid comedian, he bombed so bad. He bombed so bad that he had actually set up a video camera to record the entire thing. And he said he'd send me my clip and he never did. <laughs> so, oh, wow. You were the winner of the night for sure. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't really judge it by winning or losing. I just, I did really well. And that really was great. And the funny thing is that same comedian a couple of years later, after I'd already been doing Funny by the Lake, we're doing a ton of shows. Like I book like over 200 paid spots a year for comedians now and different shows. And a couple of years ago, that guy started calling me and he didn't remember that. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I want to be on one of your shows. I'm a comedian. I'm like, okay, yeah, send me your clip, whatever, and send me his clip. And I just kept blowing off until they stopped calling me. That's called karma, because he never sent me my clip. I asked him a few times, he just blew me off. So. Oh, yeah, there you go. But I think a good point here also for everyone to think about is even if you're not prepared, think back to Larry's story. Like if you have an opportunity that comes up and you're like, that's too advanced for where I am in my business right now, or I don't have everything in place yet to do it may be an opportunity that will never come again. So take it even if you're not sure and then just make it happen, which is what you did, Larry. Yeah. You definitely had experience already because you've been up in front of people, not to that level yet, right? But you had not with the more structured, now 15 minutes versus the five, right? The tight five you talk about. But you took the opportunity and just by your own ambition right now, you probably wouldn't have done it whenever would have happened. I'm sure I wouldn't have. And I sure would have just been like, oh, you know what? There's not enough time to write. I've never done it before. I'll do it the next time they do a comedy night. And actually, I don't think they ever did a comedy night after that. So that group. So I would have never had that opportunity. Well, there you go. And then I love the fact that you posted about it, that you had no choice then but to be accountable and to go through with it. Yeah, I was interested to see what people would say. And people were just like, that is awesome. I will go to that. You have to do that. The people were just like completely positive about it. And then at the same time, I just thought if I post it and then people are like, hey, whatever happened with that? And I was just like, oh, I decided not to do it. I would have felt bad. You would have been disappointed in yourself. Yeah, so I would have been disappointed because that's not necessarily my personality. I usually try and rise to those challenges. So what did you do to prepare? Oh, for that first. Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there to get yourself psyched up? Obviously, there's content creation, all of that. But walk us through what you had to do to get ready for that. I'll tell you what you should do, which I didn't do because I was too (laughs) dumb. Like I mentioned earlier, okay, if you live in Chicago or New York or California or Texas, really almost anywhere, but especially Chicago, you can go to an open mic, a comedy open mic in every night of the week. There's this plenty. That's what you should do. You should start writing some jokes and trying it out at open mics. The community is pretty welcoming, at least as far as I found it. And find an open mic where they're going to give you four minutes or five minutes, something that's kind of easy to kind of wrap your head around. You write write some jokes. And then that's what you do. And you do that like a whole bunch of times before you actually get booked on an actual show. I did it the opposite. I had absolutely no idea. I just went home and I just like, you know, I had a lot of jokes about like living on the North Shore that I just kind of told just like in passing and conversation and stuff like that just to make people laugh. So I kind of had that as a starting point. 
And then I did some topical stuff that was going on in the news. And then my first stuff for like the first year or so was actually, it was pretty dirty. It was pretty blue. And it was just fun writing those jokes and saying them out loud. And a lot of it was just like I'd written stuff based on like uh, conversations I'd had. Everything is from like my personal experience. I had a bunch of that and I just kind of put it together as a set. And then I've, I had to write a whole bunch of stuff because I had to do 15 minutes is a long time. I mean, at least it was back then. Well, for joke after joke and story, I'm just thinking probably a lot of the jokes that you have are triggered by something someone's saying or a situation that you're in. But then when you're having to do a, like a show on stage, you don't have those triggers. You have to figure them out for yourself. So there's timing. How do you flow one into another? Like there's all of that behind it, I'm thinking. Well, there's some of it. A lot. I wish I could remember the comedian. I've seen this quote before and I just saw it recently and I can't remember who it was from. But I agree with this quote and wish I could live up to that standard, which is that comedian was saying that your material is your fallback. So like you go out there and like every time I go to a new venue, a new town, I learn about the town. I drive around it or walk around it. I learn about the venue. I look around. I look at the people in there. I look at what's on the walls, what they're serving, all that stuff. And that gives you a whole bunch of stuff to talk about and joke about. And then you've got your material. I mean, there's been times where I've just been, you know, the word is riffing, just riffing or winging it, basically, just kind of talking to the audience and responding to who's in the audience, what's going on in the venue, what's going on in the town, whatever. And then it gets like 10 minutes in and you're just like, all right, I I should do some jokes now. You want me to do some jokes? Because you were in the flow for the first part. Then you go to material if needed. Yeah, and then usually kind of like goes back and forth. The only time I really stick 100% to scripted material is like, sometimes there's a show that they do at one of the Zanies around Chicago, and it's sort of an audition show, and I've been on it a few times, and you get six minutes, and the whole thing is like, it's got to be, you can't go over. The booker wants to know if he's going to book you for six minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes that you can stick to your time. That's the most important thing, uh, second to making the audience laugh. And that's the only time where it's like you really practice it out to the second to make sure that you're going to get through it. Usually a little shorter because you have to allow for like laugh breaks and stuff like that. So, you know, like they got six minutes and like I'm going to write something. It's going to be five minutes exactly so that I know I will not go over six minutes. That's the only time when that's a big issue to it. But other than that, it really is like and again, it is like that in business as well, where you have your pitch. And you can't just like sit down and just like do your pitch and like not kind of react or respond or maybe like see when people are kind of getting confused or whatever, or or if somebody chimes in, you have to be prepared. I mean, that's why I don't really like improv, but improv is a really good thing for people in business because it helps them with that point where they're doing their pitch or they're having a sales call or whatever. And then someone just shifts the conversation or throws a monkey wrench in there and you have to be able to go from that point. Right. You know, I could see this could relate a lot of people in our audience. I really, really am pushing them to do networking because a lot of people are going to get business right from their local area. And when you talk about networking, you talk about the elevator speech. I actually call it an introduction message. People get really nervous about having to do that. So if you have something already structured that could be like what you're saying, Larry, the fallback, As you were talking about this, I know that I do this with my introduction message when it's my turn to stand up and say whatever I'm going to say about my businesses is I will try to improv like you're talking about, spin off of something that someone just said right before me 
or something that has to do with the event before I get into my spiel because it just also lightens the mood, I think, versus just getting up and being so rote. I'm Sue Monheit, blah, 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 right? It gets people's attention. It goes back to what I said earlier. You're in a room with uh, 50 or 100 people and I've always said that you have 100 people in there. Man, if you're like the fourth person to introduce yourself, nobody's going to remember you. Right. And just personally, I always say that I get a handful of people in, I just start playing the movie Goodfellas in my head. I'm like, I can't even. <laughs> I went to a chamber, a local chamber event a few months ago. I woke up late. I got there late and I forgot my phone. I didn't even pitch my business. All I said was like, I woke up at 10 after seven and I left home without my phone. So I'm really looking forward to actually listening to all of you and learning what you do. Oh, that's fine. Well, and that gives you a little peek into Larry's humor, you guys. (laughs) And then you know what? The next month, because we have those things that just every month, the next month, somebody made a comment to me like, oh, did you remember your phone today? Wow. You know, they actually remembered that. What else did they remember from that meeting of people introducing themselves? Probably nothing, you know. That's a really good point. Don't worry. We'll hear more from Larry after a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Okay, so a couple of things I just want to highlight from your story so far. The things you should do, not necessarily that you did do, right? But is to start practicing, even if it's raw, even if it's uncomfortable, because those first times that you do whatever it is. Maybe it's a craft show. Maybe it's going to networking events. Maybe it's doing comedy on stage. I don't know. Whatever it is for you, the first one, go back and listen to my first podcasts. Like I want to cringe, right? And I would never get to where I am now if you don't go through that really rough and raw stage. You've got to do that. Everyone has to put in their time. So consider it that way and it might be a little bit easier. And then prepare, like Larry, you're saying, you know, you were preparing because you knew that was a fallback. I love that. I'm going to use that because it's a great way to think about you've always got that ace in your pocket, which is your material or based on your situation, whatever it is. So great points there. But so then how did you and I'm thinking back to this event again, how did you get yourself prepped emotionally to get on stage to actually follow through with what you went to do in the first place to get up there? You know what? I have no problem, no stress about speaking, performing in front of a big group. I had been doing it for a while just in business. So I I had no problem with that. I mean, again, some people, they just can't do it. I don't understand that. I understand fear. I don't understand the fear that they can't overcome. But some people are just like, I can never do that. It's the majority of people, actually. Yeah, most people, I guess. And it never really bothered me. And I did a, a string of shows at uh, Zany's in Old Town, Chicago, which is that's like the mecca. That's like the place you want to. I mean, that's, it's really cool to be asked to be on that stage. And I was driving down there with somebody who had been in comedy longer than me. And I actually hadn't been in comedy that long. And I was doing, ended up being like a series of like four shows over a month or something like that, or a couple of weeks or something like that. He said, oh, that first time I did Zanies here, I was so nervous. And I was just like, I didn't want to make him feel bad, but in my head, I'm just like, I'm not nervous at all. I'm not intimidated by it at all, which is weird. You're right that most people would be intimidated. There's all sorts of things. Luckily, you know, now you got the internet. You can go to YouTube and you can find all sorts of videos about people who can help you, like give you some devices for the challenge of getting up and speaking in front of people who, if you're not someone who's comfortable doing that. 
again, for business people, even if they don't want to be in comedy, they can go to, again, like in Chicago, you can go to Second City and you can take, most of the people who go take classes at Second City don't end up being actors or being on SNL or being stand-up or working stand-up comedians. A lot of people just use it just to be able to function in business, to get that skill of standing up in front of a big group and having that confidence. It's sort of the buy the ticket, take the ride, not being shaken by a heckler or in business, somebody throwing out some weird monkey wrench question. And I guess if there's one thing that I overcame that I was, I was just talking about with somebody else recently was the point where I used to script it and practice it. And if I was driving into the city, I would just go over the set, you know, the 10 minute, 12 minute, 15 minute set. I would just do it over and over again until I knew it wrote. I just know word for word. But the problem that a lot of people have that I had early on is if you get thrown off, like somebody, a waitress drops a bunch of glasses or uh, some heckler chimes in or something happens, going back to the place where you left off. When I developed that skill, and it only came from like repetition and doing it wrong and watching other people, the time when I developed the skill of like, I'm doing my set, I'm doing some bit, and then all of a sudden I think of something else or somebody chimes in or a heckler says something and then it gets us all thrown off or I go off on some like five minute kind of ad lib kind of thing or kind of like crowd work or something like that. And then where was I? And then you just go right back to it. When I developed that skill, that gave me such a different confidence level of like, I don't sweat getting booked. I'm Now I'm just like, okay, where is it? What time? What's the date? I don't worry about it at all. Like I don't have to worry like, how much time do I have? Okay, I need to know those 12 minutes. I need to know those 15 minutes because now I know like whatever happens, happens. Right. So something made me start thinking while you were talking. So tell me what you think of this idea, Larry. So I'm thinking, okay, so you obviously on stage comedy get interrupted like you just said. I could also see this applying, let's say somebody's in a corporate meeting and they're meeting with a company they've wanted to do business with forever. And they come in with a presentation and they might get thrown off because someone else walks in the room. It's not going to be structured the way they had intended. You know, like a million different things could go different. What do you think about this? It's more important to understand and know what your objective is with the audience versus the material you're presenting. So what I mean by that is for you, Larry, your intention is entertainment, good time. It's not that you get every single joke out in order. So let's say you got totally thrown off and you just abandoned your script and you ad-libbed the whole time or improv the whole time, I guess is the way I should say it. The end result is still that you are providing entertainment. People are laughing, engaged. For a business meeting, the difference is you're delivering the information or getting information from your potential customer that helps advance towards a sale, regardless of whether you get out every little tidbit in your presentation. So by looking at what the goal is versus your content delivery, that could be helpful. What do you think about that idea? Well, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you have to focus on the goal. The goal is what you want from the customer, the potential customer or the audience, right? So that's the goal. So like in comedy, it's like, hey, if I just go out and I do my, uh, if you think of the movie, The Blues Brothers, you remember the movie, The Blues Mm -hmm. Brothers? We've all seen it 200 times. Okay. They go to the country bar, right? And John Belushi's character is like, okay, let's do our standard set. And they just start going into one of their blues tunes and the audience just starts throwing beer bottles at them and booing and throwing stuff at them. And then actually the venue cuts off all the electricity and the lights to the stage and their instruments. What do they have to do? They're like, well, do we know a country song? And they start playing like the handful of country songs that they know. That's a really good example of that. So again, what's the goal? The goal is to entertain the audience and get paid at the end of the day. That was their goal in that. 
So my goal when I got on stage is like, yeah, I got some bits. I love doing the, I have a set. I have like a fail safe that I can always use that I know it could take seven minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, whatever, however much I want to draw it out. But if I get there and other things are happening and there's other things to joke about and there's people in the audience that are worthy of your attention to make everyone laugh, you have to do that and then to get the best end result. So yes, as you're saying, if you go to a business meeting and somebody throws some question or a comment, or again, let's say you've got it all down, but then three people, real important people come in late. They've come in 10 minutes late. You might have to double back. You may have to kind of integrate the previous stuff with the stuff from the point where you're at. I hope Mm -hmm. that makes sense. I mean, because your goal is to make sure everybody understands what you're selling them so that they want to buy from you. And you do have to adjust. It always goes back to like knowing your audience and knowing the room. Yeah, knowing your material so well that you can adjust it and change it as you need to, but then being really, really in tune with what you just said, the audience, how it's being received, et cetera. Right. So like if, like I just said, you're in a meeting and you're doing a pitch or a presentation and a few people come in and they're actually really important. They need to know what you just said. You have to make it interesting for the people who are now going to hear it again. You kind of have to break it up. You have to kind of present it in a different way, whatever. But you have to make sure that like the people who just walked in who need to hear what you just said, they get that information. But you don't lose the other people in the room. They don't check out mentally because now you're just repeating yourself. You're starting over at your pitch, right? You have to kind of, I mean, it's a skill. There's a nuance to it so that in the end, you've kept everyone's attention. You've given everybody the information they need to hear. And sometimes it's not. I stand up and I pitch to the room my sales presentation for 10 or 12 minutes or something like that. And I just go through it and I sit down. And I don't care that a few important people came in late and they didn't hear it. Or I don't care that I just repeated a whole bunch of it and then everybody was annoyed at me. Like, it can't be like that. You have to focus on the goal. That's a great example. Okay, so what's happened from that first night? Where is Funnier by the Lake Comedy progressed and where is it today? So after that evening at that venue where I did my first set, the venue had actually asked me at that point if I wanted to run a monthly open mic, a comedy open mic. So that's what I did that for at that venue for almost two years. It was an open mic slash, it was like a hybrid of a booked show and an open mic sort of. And I did that for a while. But as I was doing that, I was actually finding other places for myself to do comedy. I started to get booked places. I was up in the suburbs of Chicago and a Chicago comedian, he gave me some really good advice. He's just like, Larry, you have a good show here. You do this really well. Nobody knows you're here. You got to go into the city. You got to meet all the comedians and the producers. That'll get the comedians to come up to your show. That'll get the producers to book you. And that's what I did. As soon as I started going into the actual community and not just staying, being up here, hoping people heard about me, that's when everything started to change. I had to do a couple things, which is one, I didn't start when I was like 21 or 25. I had to kind of calibrate my expectations. I have a house and a mortgage, kind of an expensive life. So I couldn't just ditch everything and just start bumming around doing comedy wherever for gas money and for meals. So I really did think, and I've run a lot of business. I've run my main business for 22 years. I used to run a business for Division of Eastman Kodak. So I know how to start a business. I know how to develop a business. That's sort of where I lean to. I see the opportunity. So I thought, you know what? At the time, there was just no like live stand-up comedy in the North Shore, North Suburbs of Chicago. There had been, but there, we were just in a place where there just there was none happening really, except my show in the little suburb I was doing. Like a year into it, I developed Funnier by the Lake Comedy as sort of a sub-entity of my main company to start looking for venues and also private events to bring shows to, showcases to. And then also just to get myself booked on like private events, and, uh, fundraisers and stuff like that. And also different clubs. So I made it all a presence for myself and for Funnier by Lake as a whole. You made your own stage, really. 
in a market that needed it, because I know we love comedy up here. I wanted to monetize it because it was starting to take a lot of my time. And so I needed to monetize it. So that's how I find venues. So we'll do things like we've got like these long running, like dinner and a show comedy showcases that we do at different venues, primarily in the burbs. I just started a couple things in the city of Chicago. I just started one a couple months ago on the north side. And I got one starting this month in in the south loop. But it was primarily in the burbs. So that's how I have a partner in some of these. And that's how we get, we monetize it. Basically, we go, we sell the show basically due to a venue and hopefully we do it every month. And we either do it by a flat fee or a split of the door or however we work it out. And so that actually generates money and it creates a stage for not just me, because I don't perform at every one of those. A lot of times I just produce, but it creates a stage for up and coming and existing comedians. And then also it gets me out there and then other producers hear me and then I get booked on stuff just like shows that I can just go to hang out do my set and I don't have any other responsibility (laughs) whatsoever right I just tell my jokes I get paid and then I go so time wise I won't ask income wise but time wise how do you balance that then with your other business it was kind of a struggle like how do I do these two things at the same time and there was a point a couple years ago where all of a sudden I realized like I had somehow naturally balanced it where I wasn't like interrupting my main business to do stuff for Funnier by the Lake. There's a lot to be done for Funnier by the Lake for every event because, you know, I'm a marketing person. So that's a big part of what we sell to the venues, which is like, hey, we do all the marketing uh, collateral, the design. We do a lot of the promotion online. So there's a lot for each event. And all of a sudden, and I don't even know, there's, I can't even say how by design I did it, but all of a sudden it just sort of like organically, I was doing my main business here and I was doing Funnier by Lake stuff like at a separate time, it just didn't interfere. And somehow it just kind of shook out that way. It's a perfect combination somehow. But the investment in time in Funnier by Lake has been paying off because that's actually been growing and it's exciting and it's fun and it's been growing as a business and I've been getting lots of different opportunities from that. Again, either for Funnier by the Lake as like setting up shows places or me just getting booked basically on private events. So if you were to look into the future and create the best outcome that could possibly happen for Funnier by the Lake comedy, what is that? It would be that I had multiple venues every week doing shows, whether they're dinner and shows at restaurants or just straight up showcases and making that being my primary source of income would be great. (laughs) Now it's growing. It's getting there. We're doing bigger venues with bigger names. Now we have a place in uh, Buffalo Grove, suburb of Chicago, the Performing Arts Center, which is a newly rehabbed 320 seat theater. And we do that. We fill that up. We make some money. We make decent money. And even after paying the comedian and doing whatever we need to do, there's a place opening up locally. Again, it's going to be a 300 seat theater and they want me to do the booking basically. So, and then production for the comedy end of that. And then that more of those things turns into that's my livelihood at that point. Yeah, I can totally see it flipping. But I think to what you were just saying when we were talking the balance, you'd still want that marketing aspect in there. My main business, which I started like in 1997, I started it when I was 29 years old, had tumultuous couple of years, and I haven't really, I just personally, which took away from my business, and I ended up really just working at that business part-time. So now I was working at that business part-time and working at Funny by Lake part-time as well, and I had to take care of somebody. So that was just taking a lot of my time. So I started the business when I was 29, and now I have to decide, do I rebuild that business or do I put all the energy into Funnier by the Lake? Or do I do something else? It'll probably end up being a combination of all three. Do I have the energy I had at 29 to go after business through my main company, doing marketing and branding, consulting and content and web development? 
I don't know if I've got that energy like I used to. I like doing the projects. I like when they come to me. Do I have the energy and the interest to uh, pursue it like that? Or do I shift more of that over to Funny by Lake? Where It's funny because I've been doing this other business for 22 years. And when people introduce me, you know, like uh, networking things, they always introduce me as a comedian. Because that's so you, Larry. I mean, it's so natural. I knew you from your other business first, but there was always that element of humor to you in your personality overall. I totally get that. But when they know that I do, that I have Funny by the Lake, you know, I get booked at clubs and I do private stuff and I'm a writer and all that. Knowing the two businesses I have, when they introduce me to somebody like at a networking event or just out when we just run into people, they don't say, oh, this is Larry Bloom from ATI Creative Consulting. No, they say, oh, this is Larry Bloom. He's a comedian. He does uh, Funnier by the Lake. They always introduce me as that. It's almost like, where do I put my energy? And then what do people even want from me at this point? They think of me as the latter, not the former. But you're good at both. And to your point from the very beginning about being on the ride and changing and not knowing what comes, it's not only what comes to you, but what you want to do. And I think that's what I'm hearing from you is, you know, where is your passion now? And I know like a lot of your listeners, it's all about taking your hobby and monetizing it or turning it into a job or a career or a business. The interesting thing is a big part of why I'm becoming more successful with Funnier by the Lake is because I'm not just trying to book me at places and I'm not just trying to book shows and just bring comedians. I'm taking what I've done for 30 years, basically, which is the branding and the marketing, all of that. And I'm bringing that into the package of what we offer. So like when we go to a new venue, when we decide to do a show, I brand the show. I name it based on the venue. So like, you know, we do a show at uh, Max and Benny's. We've been at the end of the year. It's a traditional Jewish deli. So the show is called the Comedy Nosh. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. You're combining two things that you do well and that you have been passionate about and come naturally to you. And that makes you very unique unto yourself with that combo together. Yeah. And then, you know, so I brand it and then I do all the collateral materials. I design it. And then, you know, I give that to the venue and we can either actually create uh, printed materials for them to use or they could do it themselves. But they don't have to worry about the design and the branding. And they also don't have to worry about how to promote I also consult on how to promote the shows. I promote it through my own channels, through Funny by the Lake, but then how to get them to do it right as well. And that's what a lot of people, especially younger people, they just don't know just because they're younger. They just just don't have that experience. So when we're bringing that show to a venue, because the whole idea with bringing it to venues is all these restaurants, they might have, what's the day of the week that you struggle? What day is that? Tuesday, Thursday, Sunday, whatever it is. Yeah, let's do a show there. Instead of having an empty restaurant, let's bring 50 or 100 people in there. And then capitalize on that. Promote it before it happens, promote it while it's happening, and promote it after it happens. And then now, yeah, they've paid us to do the show, but they've just got exponentially marketing value out of that. Absolutely. And so the, I guess my the point I start out with is your audience is trying to segue into taking a hobby or a craft and turning it into a job or a career or some sort of business. And it's like, you don't just shut off what you had done previously. And I always think back to, there's a book that I recommend to people who when they're in between jobs and they might be kind of worried or or flailing. And and there's a book I recommend all the time. It's a very quick read. It's called How Starbucks Saved My Life. It's about a guy who's in his 60s. Everything came very easy to him. He was in the marketing and advertising agencies, very high up his entire, he was kind of born into privilege. And he was always at the top of these firms. And then it all fell apart. Like the firm he was with got sold and his friend who started it was no longer there. And then he got laid off and he had nothing to do. He used to dress up like he was going to work and he would go to Starbucks every day and just sit and he didn't know what to do. 
And one day, one of the young women who was like the manager of Starbucks was putting up a sign. It was going to be like a job fair, Starbucks. And she joked, you want to fill out an application? He said, yeah, actually, I do. And so he did that. He ended up working at Starbucks. And the thing that always reminds me of it is down the line, he started using all the stuff he had known as being a marketing and advertising person to help the Starbucks, to create events, to help people who worked there with their presentations. And so he didn't just shut off everything he had done previously. He used that in the new phase of his life and his work. And that's what your people have to know. It's not like, oh, I'm not just chucking my job as an accountant to do a gift business. Because you know what? That experience as an accountant is actually going to give you an advantage over somebody who's really good at the gift stuff, but has no idea how to manage the finances of a business. (laughs) And that's going to give them such an edge. And again, to me, it's like I get a lot of credit for how I produce and promote the shows. And it's because I have a system to do it. And I have a system because I've been doing this for decades, marketing and creating messaging and branding and creating effective collateral that looks like it's, you know, when people see it, they know this is a real thing. I want to go to this thing. It's not some ramshackle thing that someone just threw together. Right. I mean, this last comment that you just talked about in terms of what's your experience, what else do you bring to the table? It might not look like it connects, but it can be so powerful in terms of your advantage going forward because people don't have the same experience that you do. So that is golden, Larry. Thank you so much for that. So how can any of our listeners who want to know more about you, or if they're in the Chicago area, perhaps they want to come see you perform? Yeah, I'm uh, really accessible online through Funnier by the Lake. So I've got funnierbythelake.com. It's got all the information about what we do as far as like events coming up and also services that we offer. Because one of the things that we offer is helping people like punch up their presentations and their pitches and their content to make it interesting. So that actually might help your constituents of the podcast. All that can be found as well as clips of me doing some comedy and my bio and all that at funnierbythelake.com. You can also follow Funnier by the Lake on Instagram and Facebook. Just look up Funnier by the Lake or the links are actually on the funnierbythelake.com website. And then also, you know, if you're a business and you're local to Chicago, the Chicago area, and you want to actually be a part of it, and you're not funny, you can actually attach your business to sponsoring shows. You can actually sponsor shows, which gets you pulled into our, what I always refer to as shameless promotions. I'm a shameless promoter. So if anyone wants to be a part of a show, get some exposure for that, just even be a part of like the industry of what we're doing, they can actually sponsor shows. Or if they have a venue, it doesn't have to be a restaurant, doesn't have to be an entertainment venue. I mean, we've done shows in all sorts of weird spaces where we can set up a show. And then that, again, is just an amazing marketing tool. It gives you a reason to promote your business and get people who don't know of your business in the doors. And again, it's something, what I preach is it gives you something to promote way before it's happening, while it's happening, and after it happens. So those are all things that you can learn about at funnieraboutlake.com. Perfect. Yeah. And I saw you actually at a yarn shop perform at one point. Yes. We did like a Friday afternoon after hours. That's a good example because I knew the owner of that shop and I walked in there and I always look at every space and see like, oh, could this be a space we could do something? And the hook for her was she really needed help with getting people to know that her business existed. So they had this community thing where they were doing it on, I think on a Friday or Thursday. I don't know what the day was. It was a Friday night. Friday Yeah. And so my kind of pitch to her was like, instead of just doing hors d'oeuvres and drinks that people come in here for five minutes and wander out, let's do a show here. And then, oh, by the way, let's think of a cause, a local cause, a charity, and we'll make the show taking money for that. So now you've got like three reasons for people to come here. It's part of this uh, community event. 
It's to get people in your doors in general to watch comedy, and it's to support this uh, cause that you want to support. I don't know which one you were at. Uh, we did two there. The first one was packed. It was packed. That's the one I was at. And, you know, it wasn't a huge, huge venue either. So if you're brick and mortar and ears perked up at this idea, you don't have to have a huge location either. You can just pack the area you have. I would say, man, she must have had like 40, 60 people there. And it was a small venue. Yeah. And again, it doesn't have to be like a place where you've done events. You don't have to have event lighting or sound. We actually can bring lighting and sound. It's not a big deal. It's just if you have the space to fit a few dozen people, you move some stuff out of the way, you put some chairs Mm -hmm. down. You know what? When people go to those things, they're kind of prepared. You know, people come in, they stand on the sides. I used to do a show in Highland Park at the tea house that Billy Corgan owned. I did it for almost three years. And there weren't a lot of seats in there. But we filled the place every time. And people gladly just kind of stood along the sides and watched the show. Right. You don't have to be intimidated by like, well, this isn't an event space. No, if you've got space, if you have square footage, we can do something. We can create a quote unquote stage area and we could make it look and actually be a show and everyone will have a good time. Oh, Gift Biz listeners, I want you guys to go back and listen to this last five minutes, like rewind and listen right now. And you're going (laughs) to see Larry pointing out not only with his business, but also this outside venue idea, multiple ways that you can add additional areas of monetization to your business. So this was fabulous in terms of a perfect demonstration, lots of great ideas. So rewind, come back forward. Larry, thank you so much. This has been absolutely fabulous. I'm so glad we had an opportunity to get together and chat. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks. Okay, Gift Biz listeners, I encourage you now, when an opportunity comes right in front of you, say yes. Go to those networking meetings. Sign up for a farmer's market or a craft show that you've been thinking about but just haven't conjured up the courage to do. It's all out there waiting for you. And you can see just by Larry's example that you're not necessarily ready when you say yes. Don't wait to be ready. Say yes and then prepare and make yourself ready. And I guarantee you miraculous things will happen. Up next week, we're looking at a product development success story. Do you have an idea brewing in the back of your mind, but have no idea how you'd ever get from that idea that you're thinking about to actually holding in your hand the product that you envision? If so, then you absolutely must listen in next Monday. Meanwhile, make it a great week, and I look forward to being together again then. Bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.